This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. E-S-N-Y. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of the Nick State of Mind podcast. This is episode five of our draft series with your hosts, Chip Murphy and Jeff Campbell. And we have a very special episode tonight for you guys planned. Um, We've been talking about a lot of different prospects, um, and tonight is no different. Uh, We are... uh, you know, very much blessed to have uh, one of the assistant coaches for the SEC tournament winning Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, very pleased to welcome Coach Greg Polinski to the show tonight. Coach Polinski, how you doing? Great, guys. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Um, and we're, we're going to be touching on a couple of the Tennessee Volunteers tonight. You guys had a great season um, and there's a lot of talent on the team. And we're going to start off with uh, none other than the star guard, Kennedy Chandler. Um, Coach, you know, Chandler, I I wanted to know if you could let us know a little bit about the recruiting process for him. We know that he he went to high school. He's a Tennessee native, but he went to high school, spent some time in Kansas a bit. Um, What do you think ultimately led him to choose Tennessee over some of the other programs that were looking at him? Well, let me say this to you guys. So, this was my first year at Tennessee. Gotcha. And so I was not involved in Kennedy's recruiting. I heard of it, that he's, you know, a Memphis native. Um, you know, there was a good Tennessee backing there uh, at his high school. So a lot of enthusiasm for the University of Tennessee. He obviously attempt, uh, a, uh, attended Sunrise Christian um, his senior year, but I didn't do the recruiting on Kennedy and really actually met him last summer when I came in. That was my first, um, you know, indoctrination to knowing, meeting, getting, you know, talking with Kennedy. Gotcha. You you know, and it's, it probably didn't take too long um, for you to see how talented he was. Um, And there's certainly a couple of things that jumps up, jump off at the screen when you're watching him. Of course, shooting is one. But one of the things that I think probably doesn't get talked about enough is his defense. You know, his instincts in terms of jumping passing lanes, uh, and anticipating passes are really, really good, especially for someone so young. Is that something that you saw when he first got on campus, or is that something that he developed over the season with you guys? I think, you know, those are, like you said, those are instincts. He um, makes some plays that are pretty special. Uh, got a huge wingspan, um, not the biggest guard, but when you actually, the way the NBA does it, and I was lucky enough to do that for 23 years, uh, to, to measure a guy's effective height, um, you know, it's, uh, it's special. I mean, he, he, you know, again, almost 6'7", um, so 
he gets his hands on a lot of basketballs. He's got, you know, in college, he had elite hands. What that would mean in the NBA, I'm not quite sure. I think he'll have very good hands. But, like, as you, as you said to start, you know, we wanted things from Kennedy. I think most, if not almost all, high school players come in. And my joke is they think defense goes around the yard, you know. So it's just not something that is emphasized, held accountable. Uh, I wouldn't say that about every high school. But I would just say these guys are so talented that they probably get away with a little bit at that end of the court. That's not how it works for Rick Barnes. So Kennedy really got better. I mean, there was a lot demanded of him. Coaches had some great players that played that position for him. TJ Ford, DJ Augustine, just a few. Um, so uh, he is a kid that just grew during the course of the season, got better with our concepts got better with having an aggressive discipline to his play. But the one thing, and again, you hit it right at the start, he made some steals that were just ridiculously good that we didn't teach, we had nothing to do with, that were just Kennedy's instincts and athleticism and basketball ability taking hold. Yeah, had 74 steals last season, which was second all-time in Tennessee history, which I thought was incredibly impressive for a 19-year-old kid to do something like that. Yeah, it is. And I mean, look, we, we, we guarded, I think we finished third in the country analytically, um, defensively. And so, you know, we were proud of that. It was a team thing. It's, it's NBA ish and that, you know, we heavy white line, you know, and tried to do the old high hands pull over. But again, Kennedy, Zakai Ziegler, another New Yorker, young man that came here and late, those two guys were um, a heck of a tandem out there and very quick. Uh, great anticipation on and off the ball. Um, again, some of the things Kennedy did weren't things we taught. They're just God-given talent. Coach, you touched on your NBA background earlier. You were in the league for 20 years. You were there in a scouting background, correct? Correct. So um, I did, you know, I started out as a part-time guy and then a regional guy and, and eventually worked my way up to a director of player personnel uh, interestingly enough, 20 years with the New Jersey slash Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Three years with the Pistons. Um, then last year just went to work as a volunteer at Tennessee and then got promoted to full-time probably about a month and a half ago. Um, known Rick Barnes for a long time. Great respect for him. Not to sound like a paid political announcement, <laughs> but heck of a man, hell of a coach. Yeah. Yeah. That's, he has such a high reputation with, yeah. we've talked about him with a couple of other coaches that we've talked about. And you know, with your scouting background, if you were still in the NBA and you were scouting Kennedy Chandler, and if you were a team that needed a point guard or didn't, what would your report look like on him? Uh, so it depends. If you're telling me with my eyes, we used mm-hmm. to do a thing we called eyes, ears, and numbers. Right where we, let's take the intel out of this. Let's take the personality out of this. Let's just talk about our eyes, what we're seeing. I would see a guy that has um, really good NBA speed with the ball. Let's talk NBA, not college. Really good NBA speed with the ball. Ability to get downhill. Um, Became a high-level finisher at the end of the year. Um, Wrong foot layups, high off the glass, good touch. Learned, got better in pick and roll, learning how to play it with a lot of drop situations that we encountered. Um, snaking it, using the floater, 
we still believe in the pull-up, even though analytics hates that in the NBA. But he got to the rim and created. I mean, you're talking about a guy that created, that either scored or assisted on 33.6% of our plays. So he will be missed, to say the least. But we're also excited for Kennedy because, hey, this was his dream. He's capable. But back to your question. Um, that would be my scouting report. And, and the fact that he shot, I think, over the last 15 games, 46% from yeah. three. I was going to ask you about that later. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, and he shoots it deep. He shoots off the dribble, shoots off the catch. He's much more of a gamer right now than a practice player, and that is not a knock. I think it's actually a good thing because his habits got better and better in practice. And, again, playing for Coach Barnes, being the point guard, it's not like a Wizard of Oz movie. You know, right. it's tough. Um, but if you – you don't have to ask those questions if you're an NBA scout. If a guy can be coached, can he be coached hard? Can he retain information? Can he process information? Those are all things Kennedy had to learn to do coming out of high school. And um, coach did a hell of a job with him. And, and, and to Kennedy, he did a hell of a job in being receptive to coaching once he got into January, February. He really started to grow. Yeah, that's one of the things he talked about when he in his uh, draft or his announcement when he said he was declaring for the draft. He said a couple of things he wanted to do that or make clear to separate himself in the draft process was he wanted to make pe sure people knew he was coachable and cerebral. Uh, now, you just talked about how coachable he is. What do you think he meant by being cerebral? <laughs> I think he means that, you know, just what the word would indicate, right? He's mm -hmm. um, that he's bright that um um and understanding things we used to talk about emotional iq not just you know understanding a play or being able to you know regurgitate what coach said or uh but how to deal with older teammates what is going to be to deal with guys that that are veterans in the league that are on you know their clocks running and it's running down um what are they going to expect from you uh what should you expect from them so, I mean, I think Kennedy took all that in, um, got a really good dad and mom, and uh, they were around a lot and, and in a good way. And um, he comes from a, a really basketball family. Um, so I think Kennedy gets it, uh, and he, I think he gets what he doesn't get. And I think that took a while, and that's where Coach was on him and, you know, uh, about, you know, thinking the game, being a leader, why would you do this at this time? And then he understood when he got to the point that he like, okay, listen, I'm ready to be coached. I'm ready to listen, coach. I, I obviously, and um, to Kennedy's credit, um, man, he took off that last two months of the season was, was beautiful to watch. You guys had a tough loss uh, on the road in Texas back in January. Mm -hmm. it was the only game of the season for him where he didn't have an assist. And this was when I was researching and reading about him. One of the things that stuck out to me was when he said he learned a lot from that game. And he said he even had a, you mentioned TJ Ford earlier. He said he had a one-on-one -on -one with TJ after that game. And yeah. for people who don't know, TJ Ford was a former national player of the year when he was at Texas. So is there anything you noticed in particular from him after the Texas game? Yeah, I think, you know, Kennedy, again, this is a, you know, Coach Barnes, you know, TJ loves Rick. Um, mm -hmm. If you ever seen the interviews, you would know it. They've stayed close. 
and uh, TJ was at the game when TJ offered to talk with Kennedy. Coaches always thinks it's great. Coach is very secure and go have at it. You know, he wants the kid to be this, as good as he can be. And I think TJ just told him what it's going to take to be a point guard for Rick Barnes. And, and if you aspire to play higher, you, you better take what I'm telling you and, you know, um, toughen up, um, have the right priorities, uh, get outside yourself and give to your teammates and you'll find out just how good you can be. But you got to do that. And I think that's a very difficult thing, guys, for young players to do in this day and age of just this stuff, our podcast, our social media. I think it's awesome. But at the same time, I'm 64. I didn't have to deal with anything like this, like being judged or whatever. It was just at the court. It was just maybe my dad at a game or, you know, you guys coming to a game as friends and watching. Now, I think the amount of scrutiny these guys are under, it's pretty incredible. So I think having TJ and Kennedy became, you know, kind of locked in and it gave Kennedy someone to talk to after games. What'd you see? What do you think I could do better? TJ, what? And TJ is brutally honest and, uh, and he played for coach, so he knows how it is. Um, and I think, again, Kennedy took that and ran with it and we just saw a whole different guy down the stretch. Showed in the numbers and on the court too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good friend to have for sure. Um, Coach, you brought something up earlier that I wanted to kind of go back to a little bit, talking a lot about emotional intelligence, maybe not just with Kennedy, but with some of the other players as well. Um, I guess uh, along the lines also of a question that Chip was asking about being more cerebral on the court. Can you think of an anecdote, uh, maybe a memory that you have uh, with Kennedy this season that showed you that, he was pro ready in that sense, you know, maybe just something that you kind of saw and said, you know, that, that he's, he's ready for it. Um, yeah, I would say a couple, I'd say there was a couple um, definable, indelible, whatever you want to call it moments. I think in a loss at LSU that you got an opportunity to see a young guy that if you really watch that game, his, uh, his willingness to take on physicality and contact, throw his body into guys, because it was a really nasty, tough game. They're a tough defensive team, too. Very tough defensive team. Um, very active, very unique uh, stylistically. It was on the road. Uh, he didn't shy away from anybody. He took on contact consistently at the rim, got to the free throw line. That was a big deal for us. Um, so that told me that he was not soft, like all this stuff about, I never thought he was, but that was ab ab absolutely for me, a coming out party for Kennedy. I think then the run, um, in the SEC tournament just told you like, this dude is a gamer. This guy is getting it because he really had, was playing at a level of confidence that pro guys have to play with. Coming down in our break, some of the stuff we don't really like taking threes before we even got one paint touch, two paint touches, which we, you know, we were six in the country on assisted field goals. So we were proud of that. You know, we really shared and snapped the ball. Um, and, but he was on such a run that he kind of started to figure out when coach would allow him just to come on down, guy goes under the ball screen, fire away. Oh, yeah. 
which early in the year, no way. He ain't doing it. And I think once those two became comfortable and coach gained trust in Kennedy, um, because Kennedy was doing the other little things that coach wanted done. So coach therefore gave that respect to Kennedy. I think you saw him take off during the SEC tournament where he was the MVP, um, played at an incredibly high level. I thought he did the same thing in the NCAA. I mean, against Michigan, I think you saw it there. He went on runs in that game that were just really, really special. Um, so uh, I would say that for me, like the LSU game and then the, the entire SEC tournament, his level of play and level of confidence, it was at such a high, I wouldn't say elite, because that's a big word, but, but it was up there. One thing that also stood out to me as I was looking at kind of his uh, statistical profile, obviously um, we know that he's a great shooter. He shot 38% from three, but I was surprised to see the discrepancy in, in free throw percentage. And I just wanted to see kind of from your perspective, again, someone that works with him every day. I'm sure that's something that not only the staff, but Kennedy himself harped on a lot. What do you think was the reason for that? Um, and is there anything, you know, from a form standpoint or, or whatnot that, that I guess can be improved? Yeah, I think it's hard to explain because the, the, here's what I tell you what I loved about him, and then I'll, I'll, I promise I'll answer what you asked. We were playing late in the year, and I think Kennedy airballed a free throw. It might have been Arkansas at home um, where we went undefeated. So it was a – you know, a tough place to play and a big crowd. And, and you could say, like, well, it's not pressure, but it is. There's 21,678 people. Vol Nation's pretty strong. And, um, but I thought, oh, man, I wonder how he's going to respond. I don't know if that was the game. I can't remember. But whatever game it was, he came back and made three-pointers, like knocked down shots, finished plays at the rim. To me, again, that told me something about Kennedy. To the free throw? I think it's just a matter of a mental rehearsal with him, not thinking too much about it. Um, he shoots a nice ball. Yeah. Had a little bit of a dip to his left and all that. But, you know, I've seen shooters. You know, if the ball goes in, I think you just leave him alone. And, and we saw that from three. I mean, we worked at it a lot. We do a lot of vitamins, a lot of shooting, uh, et cetera. But I think the free throw thing is interesting because you're kind of scratching your head thinking, this dude's knocking down threes like crazy. Right. But the free throw line, I think he'll get through that. I think it's more mental than physical. And um, I think Kenny's gonna, Kennedy will mature with that and get to where he finds a routine and do it so much in so many games that it won't be a factor anymore. That's what I think. Jeff, remember when we had someone from Iowa State come on uh, and talk about Tyrese Halliburton, and he said everybody's wrong about his shot. Yeah, it's going to be right. He doesn't change right. anything, and he's right. 100% right. <laughs> he's yeah. one of the better three-point shooters in the NBA right now. Well, guys, I've missed on a lot of NBA guys, but I missed on Tyrese. <laughs> <laughs> I never worried about it. He's, he's a basketball savant. So yeah. what he – my whole thing on him was he'll just use a shot fake. Oh, it's a low release. It's funky. Who cares? It goes in a lot. He's so damn smart. I don't know if we could say that. Anyway, talking about one of my favorite guys, does so much, so good for his teammates. You know, just Tyrese was a, a unique cat. He really was. 
how do you think Kennedy compares to, again, you've had such a long history in scouting in the NBA to some of the players that you scouted and looked at. Do you see him as a guy that, hey, listen, it's going to take two or three years for him to really shine, or do you see him as having an impact right away when he gets drafted? It's always a hard question, right, because it depends where he goes. It depends on the culture. It depends on the veterans. It depends on guys being able to help Kennedy make, make the right play, besides Kennedy making the right play. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It, it depends on the coach. It depends on how he communicates with them. Um, uh, the, the, the variables are so numerous that it's almost like the more I learn, the less I know when that question's asked. I've seen guys I thought got no shot, like it'll take them years, and they're like, you got to be kidding me. Like, how does, you know, like a kid like Jason Tate, I never saw it that had a nice year with Houston. How does he make it? I didn't see that in college. And then how do some guys that I thought were can't miss guys, like, never develop? Like, what was I thinking, you know? Mm. So that, that question, I think it will depend on, again, the veteran, the coach or coaches that can connect with a young player like that. Um, I think there will be a learning curve for Ken. Um, but uh, he is a willing learner. And given the right circumstances, you know, into his first year, I think he could possibly help a team. But I think down the line, um, he's going to have a long NBA career. And when you say long, like productive, I think he'll have a productive career. Real quick, when you said can't miss prospects who never uh... – produced what, what who were you thinking of earlier I feel like you were thinking of one person earlier if you if you're willing to say that person um no I wouldn't say one person I would just say you know and or guys that like or a yeah or a type year, of person whoever one year we took in New Jersey Marshawn Brooks had a oh. great rookie year my brother's a Nets fan he loved Marshawn Brooks yeah yeah had a great great rookie year then what happened yeah. So that's what I'm saying to you. Like, well, how long will it take a guy? Well, I didn't expect Marshawn to do that as a rookie, but he was probably on that team. That year was the shining piece. And you're figuring, hey. And then as the team got better, he got left behind. So I just think over time, um, you are – there's guys like Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, you feel really good about. Mm-hmm. And then um, other guys that, without getting into it, that, man, you draft and you thought, golly, you did all your homework, you did all your intel, you did all your analytics, didn't make it. Everybody everybody misses. Every team misses, even the best team. Yeah. (laughs) My thing to young NBA guys is the elevator will drop you off on every floor, so make sure that you have a quality called humility. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that's probably a good point to transition to uh, Josiah, uh, Josiah Jordan James, another player that we really wanted to talk to you about, someone who has declared, but I do believe he's kept his eligibility. He's going to test the waters a little bit. Um, He was a really important player on your roster this year. Much like Kennedy, had a really great SEC uh, tournament as well. He has great size, you know, 6'6", 215, can really shoot it. If he comes back to Tennessee – do you think that he's ready to uh, take on a bigger role in the offense in terms of more of a responsibility? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, 
Also, we have Santiago uh, Vescovi that was the unanimous coaches, all, you know, first team that was on nobody's preseason list. Credit to him and Joe and all these guys. They, we're, we're proud of our player development, but it, you can't do it without them. It takes two, right, in that marriage. Um, and uh, coaches set that culture up. But back to Josiah. Um, one of the things I, I'll just say that I think is a travesty is for Josiah not to be on the first team, all defensive team. We had a freshman make it who was deserving, Sakai Ziegler. Uh, yeah. Yeah, great on the ball, but Josiah, man, if you're with him every day, you realize what you just said, 6'7", 215, very strong, elite hands, elite. Gets his hands on more balls, great instincts, deflections, steals. Um, can guard one through four. That is obviously a great NBA. Joe and I talked about that many times, that don't ever feel funny about being at the four. It is an advantage. It is an opportunity for you to showcase um, that you can play small ball because that's where the league's gone. So, Joe, do your thing. He let us in rebound. Uh, but, as you mentioned, really shot it well. Second half of the year, developed his mid-range, shot the three ball, I don't know, maybe 38, 39, 40% last two months of the year, SEC play. Uh, but Josiah's presence, his IQ, he and Santi's IQ is off the chart. We weren't the most athletic team, guys. I mean, if you watched us play, it was a combination. Kennedy, yeah, Zakat. But then you had Santi, you have Josiah's a good athlete, not a great athlete, good athlete, um, NBA athlete. But the skill level, the IQ of Josiah, and his leadership, he is the voice on our team. He is the voice. I think uh, Olivier Nakamwa, probably maybe the best athlete on the team. But right. I think overall, yeah. I, I, but it, interestingly enough, when you mentioned um, Santiago Vescovi, the, the thing that always popped out to me and, and uh, maybe one of his strongest suits, and I always heard the announcers always call him the heart and soul of the team when, when you guys were playing on uh, national TV. I, I wonder if you agree with that. But the one thing – I loved about watching him is he could miss a ball badly. He was a, he was a really good shooter, but he could miss badly, but he never seemed like it let it affect his confidence. The way, what, however it worked in your offense, whenever the ball got to him, he knew that that was going to be his role. If he's going to help the team win, when he's open, he has to shoot. Is that something that you guys saw as well? You're talking about Santi or Josiah. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Santiago. Yeah. Santi. Yeah. Santi. So, same thing with Josiah. I mean, one of the things I learned with, with Dwayne Casey, um, who I have a lot of respect for Dwayne and all the guys who worked for him, but Case was, was really good about Svee and Luke Kennard when they were there, that he wouldn't take him out of a game for missing shots, but he damn well would take him out for not taking them. So that was pretty much where Coach Barnes was. You know, the way that we played, if that guy had two feet, your defender inside the three-point line and you don't take an open shot, man. That irritated coach. So what it did, though, is it provided great confidence. We talk about next play. We also talk about next shot. We do it in all our vitamins. Next, you can miss five in a row. Hey, we talk about next shot, short memory. And I think the way that Coach Barnes coaches uh, doesn't get nearly enough credit for the things he does offensively. He's, he's a brilliant guy with, with all that. But it's – 
that's one of them. Like, he is confident in shooters. If you put the time in and we keep charts, we keep, we keep track of everybody, right? We've got the NOAA. We know who's shooting what, when, where. Um, and your numbers, get you get to a certain point, we have a criteria, you better take that shot in the game. He trusts his players. He trusts them. Yeah. He really yeah. trusted. That's a great point. Like, mm -hmm. he really trusted Santi and Josiah. Not that he didn't trust the other guys, but they had earned his respect over time. So they missed a shot. Coach is like, hey, you better take the next one. You better take the next one. So it, it makes it fun to play for a guy like Coach. He's demanding and, and holds you accountable, but, man, on the other end, he's, hey, let it fly. You know, we set a record this year for uh, field goals assisted on in Tennessee basketball history and the percentage of points about 35.6 or whatever it was, percentage of our points were from three. So you got to know Coach to be a guy that threw it inside to Grant Williams a lot and some other guys he's had. He's had a few horses. But he's also had Kevin Durant. So yeah. I think Coach Barnes, like, again. He's pretty good. Yeah, yeah he's pretty good. <laughs> Aldridge and Miles Turner and yeah. DJ August. I mean, Coach gets it. You don't have to help him with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. Coach, what is the last thing that you remember? Um, the three players that we've discussed, what is the last thing that you remember saying to all three of them? If you could tell us maybe either, you know, one thing that you know that they need to work on um, in terms of for the next level and, and maybe the last thing that you, you, you kind of said to them. Well, probably the last thing I said to Santi was, when you go to your NBA workouts, enjoy them. Have fun. Because he's such a competitive, you guys have watched him. Yeah. He's so competitive. He's so driven. He's got to relax. And right. that would be to Santi. Um, Kennedy, uh, don't talk to him a great deal. You know, his dad and I talk pretty frequently, but want to let him do his thing. And, you know, just talk to him and told him how much I appreciated him. Um, he's a spectacular kid. Uh, you know, he's different. But, man, he's, he's what it's all about. A lot of substance, a lot of character. Um, Josiah, um, you know, Jojo is a guy that, you know, we, we just talked about, uh, you know, we had a breakfast one morning and discussed what real leadership is and what same with Santi and, and, uh, you mentioned Olivier, but older guys about, there was a great article by Udonis Haslam, um, the Miami, on the Miami heat the other day in the athletic and, uh, Haslam has something in there where he talks about there has to be leadership at every level in your organization to be really good. How can they have all these undrafted players that are just, yeah, right? They win amazing. these. It's amazing. I think we were pretty amazing this year. That's what I'll tell you. I'm not, this isn't a recruiting piece, right? I would just tell you it was an amazing group. We didn't have one knucklehead, not one. An amazing group of guys. You saw at the end of our, I don't think the guys were so disappointed that we lost a basketball game. I think it hurt that they weren't going to be able to spend more time together. One of the unique years of my life for guys getting along and really loving each other, loving everything about the whole process we did. Um, yeah, they want to win. That was big. And that's why we got to where we got. And you guys mentioned the tournament, et cetera. But with Joe, um, it was about, you know, what do you want? What are your expectations? Um, what, in my opinion, the only reason to leave college would be, and, um, you know, Josiah is incredibly intelligent. I mean, the same, I could say the same thing about Kennedy. He's just younger. 
or yeah. Joe Holder. So lived experience, he's got it. Santi, lived experience, he's got it. And um, but she talked to each guy a little different, you know, about what it is uh, that they're looking for, and that I think the other interesting thing, just to tell you guys, I don't mind sharing it, is during my time scouting, the things that that the leadership piece uh, is this. I've seen great teams. I thought we were a great team this year at the end. Whatever you guys know, the records probably better. Whatever we won, thirteen out of fourteen SEC. You know, we went on a run. And um, how are we going to be this year with guys knowing it's going to be their last year? So Joe comes back to school or not, if Josiah gets a guaranteed NBA contract, there will be nobody more excited than Coach Barnes, our staff, because of what Joe's given us. That's our job to help these guys reach their dreams. Same with Santi. Can't wait to see what happens with Kennedy, right? Um, so we're excited on that end. But if they do come back to school, <clears throat> our job is to get them to another level, physically, on the court, mentally. And their job is going to be, how do they guard against being one of those teams that everyone thought was going to be so good because they came back to school if they come back, right? So that scenario, if they come back, um, because this is their year. Does each guy think this is my year? I've got to get it done. I've got to play at this level. I've got to take it to the, you know, my numbers. My so the nice thing is they're they're intelligent and mature. Those are two great qualities. So to talk to those guys about that, you know, on an NBA a report, I never had points per game. I never had touches in that game. It was all about how you arrived into everything you did, you know. Um, how you got to the backboard, how you came off a floppy screen, you know, how you got separation. So I tell those guys that don't, if you can find that same cohesiveness again, uh, people want to be around winners. They love that pedigree. So keep that culture. And if you go, you have great workouts, there's an NBA team, your agent feels like they have a guaranteed deal in place for you. See you later. See you later. <laughs> You've given us, we're giving you our best. That That's pretty selfish, I think, not to feel like that. And right. Coach Barnes, he's the best. He's the best. He wants what's best for these guys, man. He, he, he would tell you he literally loves those guys. So he wants what's best. And if it's not, uh, if, if it's not the year to come out, then they're going to come back and have really good years. I think they each have another level to them. Coach, I feel like with your um, experience and background in scouting, uh, one question that kind of just popped in my mind uh, that I want to ask you is, it, over the last five or ten years, you know, you, you talked a lot about, um, I guess, the increase in social media. You know, me and Chip are on Twitter all the time. That's probably not such a good thing. But, it's um, not. It's not. you know, no. we, we, read, we, we read and absorb content on a daily basis about scouting these prospects, um, you know, what to look for, what not to look for, you know, how has the, the game, I guess, uh, per se, changed for you um, over these last five, 10 years, whether it's, you know, um, just that there's so many more eyes on kids now, I mean, what have you seen as, as the biggest difference in scouting? Um, I think having a very definable, ideology that's aligned with the GM and the coach, it can't be separate. I know there's many places in the past and 
guys will tell you old stories where the front office is over here and the coach is over here and it's almost adversary. Obviously, the Spurs were great at that for a number of years. There's no – obviously having great players, but it's no secret why they did so well. They ran that like a collegiate. You know, uh, Coach Popovich was right involved in everything, and RC allowed it. And uh, Coach – I mean, they, they worked together, man, in unison. Um, I think uh, that's really important. I think to understand, not be hard-headed, how the league has changed. Um, I think for, well, what I know is, like, you have to understand when you're scouting that no matter how much the front office likes a guy, the head coach just still decides on minutes. And you don't want to put them in a situation where the general manager is telling the head coach, hey, you got to play Joe. You got to play Jim. You got once you do that to me across the line, that's not it. It's not it. They've got to feel for the team. They got to coach the team. You got to supply them with players and figure out how to facilitate them. So uh, I think I've learned that from Coach Casey, Coach Atkinson, Sean Marks when I was there. Man, I worked for great guys. That's Stefanski, Rod Thorne. I mean, I, man, when Rod made the deal for Jason Kidd, I mean, just different things from different people. Billy King. You know, I, all those guys had some great strengths. And, um, but now, the last five, ten years, versatility, being able to play different lineups, being able to understand your team's chemistry, being able, like, when, just to give an example, I can remember my last few years, and I was looking at Boston, and I was thinking, okay, there's Tatum, there's Jalen Brown, then you go to Toronto, they're playing with OG, they're playing with Pascal Siakam, then you go to, to Milwaukee, and they're playing with Giannis, Chris Middleton. And we're trying to guard him with Luke Kennard. No knock against Luke. I think he'd even admit that yeah. was a tough cover for him. No, no knock. Luke's 6'5". So, yeah. again, what became apparent is skilled guys with size and versatility are at a premium. You've got to be able to have those guys. And what I've really had fun with Coach Barnes, you know, coaches, again, He's forgotten more basketball than I know. But when we started talking roster construction, like he said, I never really thought about that. You know, he's so honest. Like, I, I just took the best players. So you have a coach. Let's write it down. Ed Stefanski used to have a great line. Let's do the exercise before a trade. If we make this trade, point guards, wings, bigs, center. However teams do it. Some shooting guards, some, whatever you do with your titles for positions. Or, but once you do the exercise, you go, man, we make this move. Who's our backup point guard? Right. We make this move. We, we don't have a backup center. Like doing the exercise. And that's been something that's been fun with Coach to say, Coach, this, analytically, our best lineup this year had Kennedy, Zakai, Santi, Josiah at the four. Okay, who's that next guy? Who's the next Josiah James? Like you said, that guy's got great value. And I, I think he's got a real chance to make it. If not this year, then at some point. Um, and that's kind of where coach, instead of like playing with two big guys, which we still do, we've got some really quality big guys. You mentioned Olivier and got a couple of other young kids that are, or an older kid, Urosh, and then a young kid, Jonas, that going to really be good. Um, but Coach's ability to, to look at the other team, like, I don't know, you guys are interested in this, but like the NBA, they'll play small ball. Yeah. Well, we play Texas A&M, the biggest guy they had out there at times is 6'5". 
So what are you going to do? Run your seven, one and six, 11 guy out there. You know, this kind of dribble break you down Florida. You're going to dribble you down the same thing. LSU is going to play East Town at the five. So being able to have versatility in the NBA, being able to create mismatches, advantage, disadvantage. I think with case being able to have guys that can score the ball, like you can scheme defensively to help guys, but if a guy can't shoot or score, you can't help him. You know, so I think from, from Coach Casey, that's something I took. And from Matt Stefanski, how, you, how do you take a lineup? How does that roster look? And, you know, you know, it was different there, guys. But how many years going out? Well, now the transfer portal, so we really can't do that. Right. Guys, you think you're going to have, you're not. But I'd say five, ten years, uh, I, I guess I circled around your question. you got to have versatility. you got to be able to play different lineups. I mean, look at what Cleveland did this year. How beautiful is that? Yeah. That was said, amazing hey, to watch. They just threw it. We're playing three guys that are basically seven foot. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe what Jarrett, was Jarrett Mobley. Everybody I mean, laughed at him and, and, and marketing. perfectly. And marketing, yeah. Yeah. Marketing, yeah. yeah. And then Garland. And then I think they were starting Chetty Osmond or sometimes Lamar Stevens at, at, the, at the two from Penn State. Like, what? And they're winning. Like, good for them. Good two for All-Stars. Them. Gar- yeah. uh, Garland and Allen, all-stars. Yep. yep. All-stars. So mm-hmm. it, it, there's a lot of ways to slice the pie, but I think you have to have a team that, that you can, you know, plug in, plug out, change, play different ways in different games. Um, and give me one second, guys. No problem. No problem. I'm, I'm doing a podcast and I'm talking about you, but I want to – but I want to on the phone. Yeah. So, Hey, I'm going to call you back when I'm done. Okay. Yeah. I got some news. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be on with these guys. I don't know. What time are you getting on the plane? <laughs> oh, I'll call you back. It'll be fun. Okay. See you son. Yeah. That was Santi. He just had a workout in Cleveland today. So nice. Cool. Oh, but, uh, right. Yeah. So I think the versatility of the game is what's made it really cool now. And I think what Kobe did in, in Cleveland should really be applauded because that takes um, – what's that word we want to use? A big set? Yeah. <laughs> That's not the way the league's going now. But he recognized something in all those guys and said, we're going to play this way. And all those bigs can really move and switch and gives us great length across the front. And we think we can go with Garland. And, hey, they knew a little something. Before they got hurt, I think they were third, right? Before Jarrett went right. third. Yeah. So, they were up there. Yeah, but but I think, again, the versatile, different lineups, being able to play different ways, being able to stretch the floor, uh, have gravity score guys, right, where J.J. Redick was a huge gravity score, Ray Allen, so it creates for guys to put it down. That's a big piece. Even with Cleveland's lineup, they still would go smaller at times, right, and marketing can shoot it. So, and Moblin. So they did it a little different way with their bigs. Yeah, that's what you need, the, the stretch four. You need the Mobley. You need the – you need at the four, if you're going to play the, the big who doesn't shoot, like Allen at the five, you need the guy like Mobley, the freak athlete for like Mobley. That's just what you need. And at, the Cavs broke the code. <laughs> it was yeah, perfect. They definitely they, did. They did. Yeah. They, they did. Um, great credit. But or, or like the other thought was either a stretch or a playmaking push four. Right. The, the epitome of that is Draymond Green. Well, yeah. He's, he pushes it off the board. 
Those guys are flying. They get you in rotation. If you don't stop the ball, he's getting to the rim. If you do stop, he's probably kicked it. Then they kicked it again, kicked it again, and the party's over, right? One of those guys, they're knocking it down. So I think it's one or the other. And I think we've, you know, um, could, could assimilate a little bit of that this year. Uh, Coach has talked about it. We, he's run a great break for years um, that has a lot of nuances to it that are really effective. But um, I think there were times last year when, hey, we, we just pushed. We played with speed, and we wanted the ball off the board and get it up the court and get him in rotation and snap that thing in the old .5, you know. Yeah, you notice in the tournament a lot of these smaller schools just play complete small ball this year. I mean, look at St. Peter's this year when they would play small ball against Kentucky. Kentucky was like, what are we doing? There's like a six-five <laughs> guy at center. And like it just it takes some of the small catches some of the smaller schools off guard. And it's yeah, I think it's it's good to hear you say that you are leaning a little bit towards small ball next year. Cause I think a lot of schools are doing it. Yeah, yeah I think so. And I, I think I'll say this to you guys too though. The other um, piece that makes it so tough is like Michigan, you know, right with Hunter Dickinson. Oh, Dickinson was a beast. Yeah. Such a great passer. Yeah. Great passer, terrific scorer in the paint, great touch, great touch, mm-hmm. really quick, getting rid of the ball, shoulder to rim, really nice touch. But, and then unfortunately made three threes against us. But um, I think the other piece of that is um, being able to score it inside, to understand, you know, like we were two for 18. If, just for instance, Grant Williams is on this team, man, just to be able to throw it in there. And so I, I, that mixture is great, but I do think the league is, and, and even college basketball, we're seeing it in the SEC level. I mean, look at Arkansas. They played a very small team, very small team outside of Jalen Williams. Mm-hmm. And, um, so uh, I think like Coach Musselman, very good. There's a lot of good coaches in our league. And I really, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to talk, but, just to get you guys know what I'm saying, the, the, the way that teams are playing, it's advantage, disadvantage. And if they can get by with, I think, playing small guys that can defend bigger guys, it's a huge deal. It, it's a hard matchup for those big guys. Coach, there's one thing, um, you know, you, you talked a lot about, and I loved hearing about the, the connection between the GM and coach and how everything has to be simpatico in order for the philosophy to work. And uh, we, we are a Knicks podcast. And, and just to give you a little context and background. The Glad big you caught argu- that, yeah. The, the big argument on, uh, you know, on Twitter these days is, is that there's a feeling that there's um, not, not as much synergy between the front office and the coaching staff. If you're, if you're a scout and, and you feel like the coach doesn't necessarily give young guys minutes uh, when you have to report to the GM or whoever it is that you report to, is that going to play in your mind in terms of who you're gonna who you're gonna try and um, you know uh, it, it, who you're who you're speaking about in terms of the GM? What what kind of grade that you're gonna give them, or or is it just gonna be purely off? Listen, this is the best guy, and this is who I think we should take. Yeah, um, the dynamics to that question are a lot. <laughs> um, one, when you get to be old enough and you collect Social Security, <laughs> you have unbridled honesty. Okay. The one thing that I've loved about every guy I've worked with, Rod Thorne was great with it, Billy King. And I, I don't say it because they, they're not deserving if they are. You can be honest with all those guys. I mean, Rod would come right back at you, but 
he respected you. Know, you were fine as long as you were educated about your answer. Right. Now, he just had a feeling that ain't gonna work real good with Rod Thorne. But Rod is an awesome, like he had a great eye and knew it. Same with Ed, same with everybody. Like Billy, Billy was great, man. He gave the scouts great levity. He said, these guys know the best, we're going off the board. Um, he had a bad experience once, so they didn't do that. They paid the price. So he didn't allow anybody to change that. But all these discussions are had <clears throat> where you want to be inclusive with your head coach. My, I got to where my thing was, coach, here's the player. What are your expectations for him? Here's what he does well. Here's what he doesn't do well. Here's his areas of improvement. Can you embrace this? And if he said, yeah, he can really shoot it and he runs the court and he's got some toughness to him, great. But he's a poor decision maker. Okay, so that's going to have to grow. Maybe we can script the game for him. We used to talk about scripting it. Hey, and when in doubt, DHO. Or when you just make it easy. Well, then coach come back and say, well, he's a terrible decision maker. We can't play him. Wait a minute. We talked about this. Right. That would be points of frustration and when it might get contentious um, because, you know, you've already really done your job and you've explained what the guy can do and what he can't do, what he's going to have to prove in. Um, so that's where the synergy has to align. And, uh, you know, again, with, with like Coach Casey, he said, yep, like, hey, I understand he's not going to be able to do this, but we really need this right here. And it's my job to figure out how to use them and how to find other guys to take up for him in areas of the game where he's going to need some help. So maybe it's a rim protector. Maybe it's we playing with this guard who can always take the best guy, you know, to be our stopper on the perimeter. Um, but I think when you don't have that, and I think it's hard to have in the NBA, it's really hard to win uh, it, it, at any type of level consistently um, because you really don't have a plan. you got to have a blueprint. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. Um, I will give you a shout-out. I think you have two great basketball people there that I know. I worked with Frank Zanin in New Jersey. Frank, yeah. he was out of the, the, the Jazz organization, right, I think? No, well, that's another guy's going to mention. That's Walt. Walt. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, you, got, you got two guys there that know what they're doing. Take my word for it. Really okay. good basketball men that understand all these things, understand all the dynamics, and um, also understand, you know, the right way to present things and the semantics of dealing with coaches and front offices. And so those two guys are they're, they're terrific. Um, uh, I just think it's look, you can look at these successful organizations, there's a philosophy, they adhere to it, they stick to it but they're also willing to make a change and think outside the box when they have to. Do you think the Knicks are on the, the right path right now in terms of that philosophy? I don't know. Uh, you know what? Here's what I tell you. When you're married to it, mm -hmm. right? Let's, let's go to this analogy with you guys. Not to walk the fence here on that question. It's a lot different than dating, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm dating, I'm dating the NBA. I'm, I was married to it. When you're married, it's day-to-day -day living, right? So you right. see it all, the good, the bad, whatever you want to say mm -hmm. from your partner. When you are dating it, you know, it's great. Dinners and movies and whatever. Oh, we used to go to movies. Now you just watch them on Netflix or whatever it might be. Yeah. But, so to, to answer that, 
without being in New York daily, I can't give you a good answer. From the outside looking in, it would be irresponsible and reckless to say okay. they're down. I thought the year before they had an incredible year. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, man, this is they've done a heck of a job here getting this thing rolling. And um, I couldn't tell you what happened this year. You know, like when I talk to Frank and Walt, it's not about really the Knicks. Um, it's about, hey, if they need something from me, information, whatever, I trust those two guys explicitly, you know, I'm happy to help any way I can. Yeah. That's I great. Mean, Chip, my, my bad, Chip. I didn't mean No, that. no, no. I was just going to say, we don't really know what happened this year either. Yeah. <laughs> we we were hoping it would be better too. I think that's <laughs> the most frustrating part about uh, being a fan for us is yeah. just to go from 41 wins, you know, four seed, to not making the play in uh the east got a lot better this year and and sometimes yeah. it's like you just want to prevent the overreactions everyone is always like fire this person or you know whatnot but i i you know i i think we're on the right path it's just this draft is going to be huge and what we do this off season is going to be massive as well um but i know i i think i i maxed out my questions chip do you have anything else uh for coach before we wrap up I have one more coach, if that's okay. It's about, uh, it's about Kennedy. And uh, this, this is m not really a point guards draft, actually, uh, or not considered a strong point guards draft from what I've read. I think Jaden Ivey is, is expected to be the first guard off the board, but he's not what you'd consider a true point guard. Yeah, and so Kennedy could really be the only true point guard because he's for sure a point guard that's projected as a, a first round prospect like how do you think that impacts him going into the draft process how do you think teams will view him that way yeah well I don't know I think one of you two mentioned this earlier that I don't think I was ever in a draft room unless we had multiple picks and we had them ranked really close let's just say we made a trade we had a guy ranked 14, but the trade took place at the eighth pick. <clears throat> and we got a point guard, even though we had a point guard ranked ahead of the big, we would then take the big. If that, you know what I mean? We'd flip our board. If not, the board is the, it, that was etched in stone. You don't mess with the board. You go, you take the next best who's left on that board, how you have them ranked. You start pulling those names up, that's the guy you take. And then the GM, good one, say, we're going to take the best player and then. I'll figure out the rest. I'll figure out trades you need to make or what we need to do or how we get another pick or et cetera, et cetera. So I think, yes, um, some teams may say, hey, we want a young point guard and we really like Kennedy and uh, we think he's the best pure point guard in this draft. And they might say like it's, uh, I don't know. I'll give you a for instance, maybe it's Houston. Maybe it's, we've got Jalen. Um, I won't get into personalities here. We've got Porter, we've got Wood, man, we need, or do we need a veteran for those guys? Mm. So like, I can't think how they think. I don't know that front office, um, like but what they're thinking and, and how they're going about it. I'm not sure there's a right or a wrong. Like we, laughed, we talked about Cleveland almost a lot. At the beginning of the year, people thought Cleveland was nuts. Right. So, but they're not nuts. So I think, I think the, the best player is still the policy most teams would tell you, unless circumstances, they have multiple picks. Um, they absolutely, let's just say they're, they're locked, 
you know, cap-wise. Um, and they feel like they can get a guy that is in the draft. They don't have to spend a ton of money. Maybe they can get him in the 20s. And um, the way it's slotted, it's not going to put them in luxury tax. It's not going to take away, you know, whether it's middle up, whatever. So these guys then say, we got multiple picks. We're going to take this guy. Um, we're going to trade one of our picks or two of our picks because we want to use whatever we have left on a veteran. So there's just, you guys know there's just so many things that can go on and transpire during the draft, before the draft, that it's, it's not really a, a – you know, there's some gray area to it. Is that – without riding the fence. But I get what you're saying about Kennedy. And um, the other gentleman you mentioned is a hell of a player. Yeah. I saw – I was at the Mohegan Sun tournament that you guys played in this year. I saw both of them play and just – Two special players. I can't wait to see him play in the league, man. It was yeah, uh, we're yeah. I uh, um, you know, was still scouting when uh, Jaden, you know, was at Purdue, and um, I thought th there was a uh, an an electric piece to his game, a lot of sizzle, and uh, and and substance. Plays for a great coach too, in Matt. Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt Painter is really good, um, and then I I. You know, being around Kennedy every day, he's got that electric piece too. So, you know, those guys that are dynamic, um, they're hard to come by. And, uh, you know, it's like you guys. I can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to see what happens. God, we feel the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we're, as fans, first of all, we can't wait for the lottery to see. Hopefully the Knicks can get a nice jump up and get a top four pick. We would be super happy about that. But even if they don't, we know there's a lot of talent in this draft. And, and we hope, obviously, for Tennessee that, that all three guys, Santiago, Josiah, Kennedy, get drafted. Um, so I think it would be a nice kind of feather in the cap after the season that you guys had. But, Coach, listen, I want to thank you so much for giving us some of your time tonight. We had a great conversation. We talked about a lot of things. You gave us a, a really nice peek behind the curtain in terms of what goes on in, in some of these meetings and the decision-making process. So we're really grateful for that. Uh, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Uh, you and Chip for having me, and um, let me tell you, you're uh, two of the most laid-back New Yorkers I've ever seen. <laughs> That's a good compliment. I'll take that. I'll bet you're both bad drivers, though, okay? Oh, I am. I, I can't speak for I, Chip. I, I'm, I don't I'm drive girl. because I know I, I'll be a bad driver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my girlfriend, my girlfriend I, used, I used to hold on tight when I was in New York. So. <laughs> yeah. hey, uh, hey, guys, thanks for having me, and if you need anything else, uh, please let us know, okay? Oh, All right. Have a good one. Really right. appreciate it. Thank Coach. you, fellas. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye.